Legal Monday on the Viewpoint with Songezo Mabegde. We are back. We are live on SAFM 2142. 18 minutes to go. Very short but very pungent conversation. Loading Ian Ellis, criminal law expert at Ellis Attorneys. Ian, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to SAFM. Always a pleasure to have you here, sir. Good evening, good evening to you. Good evening to the listeners as well. Let's talk about all things criminal law. Very briefly, I have a case number. What is the strength of my having a case number? What rights and obligations are passed on to who when I have reported a crime or what I would allege to be a crime? I have the strength of a case number and now I am seeking justice. A general conversation about what happens from the time one has a case and how to follow up if one is of the view the pace or the development of the file, as it were, is not happening to one's satisfaction? <laughs> the starting point is once the charge is laid and you got the case uh, and a person has got a case number with a complainant, it has to be considered that it depends on what the offence actually is because it may have an impact on time that's being taken with the investigations. But as a general whole, is once that charge is initially laid and you're getting a reference and you're getting a reference number, it's actually primarily up to the complainant themselves to supply the necessary information that's going to be required to help substantiate their claim and thereafter as well to put pressure on the investigating officer, which once you receive your case number, they usually send it via an SMS these days. And with that SMS, we'll also have who the investigating officer is that's assisting you with your matter. And that people don't realize, they think that the the police are are beyond reproach and they actually almost intimidated to phone up the investigating officer to find out so they just leave it um and a lot of the times that the investigating officers also don't see that they're getting the necessary cooperation from the complainant they often just go ahead and leave leave the matter uh, the matter some crimes they might never go ahead and investigate in any event um where there's certain forms of theft because it's mainly you get the case number for insurance purposes but as a general whole the person needs to put pressure on to that investigating officer and if you still don't get any uh, joy with the investigating officer the person is allowed to escalate it to the chief of the detectives in that, that doesn't sound specific nice project. to me, Ellen, sorry to interrupt you, but that just doesn't sound right, if not appropriate. I mean, we're talking about what should inform public service administration in the general sense, but in this specific matter, what would the protocol be in terms of case management? Sure, I might not be putting pressure, probably because of my deference to the institution that is policing, or because I'm not as informed, and the majority of South Africans in something like this probably would not be well informed, or frankly intimidated to call up a police officer and ask, how far are you with my case? Those are just obvious realities. But beyond that, I mean, okay, I'm not cooperating. That does not in any way trigger at all that the police officer should therefore not do anything, should therefore lie the, allow the matter to lie cold and the file to gather up dust. The, the cooperation, what I actually mean, and maybe I should elaborate on the cooperation, is certain, is certain times it goes further than just the initial statement where 
Um, a lot of crimes are just the initial type of the initial statement, but there's certain things like, for example, in a lot of fraud and fraudery uh, uh, matters, there needs to be the additional uh, the cooperation of actually providing the documents. So let's just look at the basic stuff where, uh, where, where there's no complication in it. You've got your more complicated matters which deal with organized crime and um, we've seen the Hawks and they get involved in like these massive commercial matters where there's a lot of where there's a lot of cooperation that's actually needed from the complainant. But just from your basic matter, like say, for example, a common assault, the problem actually is that the the police themselves, depending upon the merits and depending upon how much pressure is placed on them, a lot of the times are not caring. And it is becoming more and more of a problem because you have to escalate it to higher authorities within the police force. And the number of complaints that are being issued at ARPAD which is the if one looks at the movies you call the you see it as the as the internal affairs guards but these are the complaints um, committee for the police and the watchdog for the police it's actually becoming uh, become, uh, becoming um, excessive to the extent of the complaints for the lack of policing that is where the problem comes is that your basic police work is not being covered mm-hmm. could you share perhaps the relationship between the saps and the National Prosecuting Authority, because when I am in court on a criminal matter, obviously, and I am the one who's the complainant, I deal at that point with the National Prosecuting Authority. But I have reported the matter to the South African police. Do you want to share perhaps how the file moves from the province of the SEPs to the province of the National Prosecuting Authority? Well, the prosecuting of national prosecuting authority is the courts. The investigations and the main maintenance of the docket, that's where the complaint is, is always handled by the police. The prosecutors don't do the investigations and the police don't do the prosecution. So if one could almost call it the law and the order part of it, you've got the investigation and you've got the prosecution. And the investigation is the police. Once they feel that they've got their complaint and it's ready, and that can be just even just a report, simply if you and I, for instance, are in an altercation, you lay a charge against me, um, you go in laying a charge with the with the police and them saying, okay, here's your case number, they will refer that matter to the prosecution, they will hand over the docket, and the, prose- and the National Prosecuting Authority will... Um, either ask that the person be summoned to court or that they or that they be arrested. Even without going to the to that length, if the police are certain that they have a strong case, they will make the arrest. The person goes off to court, but the police are always in possession of the docket. That never leaves them except for the days in court. Very well. The time is 21.15. For those of you who are interested, our guest this evening is Mr. Ian Ellis, criminal law expert, proprietor at Ellis Attorneys. What are your rights when the authority or police refuses to help with your case? Are you at home right now struggling to make contact with the investigating officer? Were you recently turned down or had a bad experience at a service center in the South African Police Service? Please share your thoughts with us. Are you in the wilderness in relation to how far your matter is you try and call you can't get hold of somebody do you feel as though your matter is no longer a priority is getting or gathering dust please call us on 086 0 2032 we are going to take a very short ad break before we continue 
And we'll even answer some basic questions. How do I file a complaint against the SAPs? And that triggers the province of IPED, Independent Police Investigative Directorate. All of these questions will be answered to the extent possible in the time available by Mr. Ian Ellis. Open-end question, simple question, short question, everything's on the cards. Let's try and get them through in as quickly as possible, please. Question number one, how do I file a complaint against SAPs? Ian? Um, the, the, the only way that you can do it is by contacting ARPID, go online, get their details, download a claim form where it shows where it needs to be emailed and submit those claim forms off to them or have them hand-delivered to the ARPID offices that are designated on the website. Is there something as the ombuds equivalent when one wants to engage such service or lack thereof in the policing context? Or would this be something for IPID? Uh, unfortunately, there's no ombud or mediatory body. It's all up to ARPID. Or alternatively, if it's a direct complaint over um, at, uh, with with the, before you go to ARPID, you directed it to the investigating officer and then to the head of the detectives for that specific police station as to what is the progress with your case. Fantastic. 2152, our first caller for this segment, KK from Kempton Park. KK, good evening. Hi, evening. Uh, with regard to, I heard your guest saying sometimes there's a lack of cooperation from the complaining. There's a situation where a teacher beat the child, and then the case was opened, and the investigating officer, the only time he called, he kept on saying, you, that person asked for forgiveness, you must forgive. Then how do you then cooperate with such an investigating officer who always tells you you must forgive that person, otherwise your child will be in trouble? Then how do you deal with such investigation officers? Because that, if it's cooperation, what kind of cooperation, how do you then, this is the type of responses you get from the person that you expect would be investigating, but already he is forcing you, telling you to forgive the other person. I hope you got that, Ian. I got that. Unfortunately, the type of case that KK has just actually mentioned, I've actually seen happen in, pra in practice as well, where the police will do their best not to prosecute it and to try and almost mediate on their own. The fact is, is that that's, that's not what the police are there for. The police are not there to mediate disputes. If there's a criminal charge and it can be prosecuted and, it, and it's an unlawful act, they need to go ahead and prosecute uh, and, pros uh, and take the charge and pursue it, investigate it and uh, run with the charge and take it through to the, prosecu uh, to the prosecutors. It's not up to them to act as mediators. And that was quite honestly very poor policing they, i could understand they don't want to burden themselves that they feel that it's that it's a matter that can be resolved but they're not there to resolve matters like that if that's the case of having to act as a mediator rather just refer it on to the uh, on, on to the prosecutors and they can mediate it at a dispute resolution uh, at dispute resolution level within the court process it's not up for the police to act as mediators let me flip the script a bit um, whilst we're hopefully going to get some more participation and engagement from the listeners. What happens when one is in police custody? In other words, from the time of arrest 
to the time where one appears. What is the time lag? I do understand, of course, the Constitution says one must be brought before a judicial officer within 48 hours of, rather, one must be, sorry, I'm, I'm getting myself twisted here. Between charge and appearance, it's 48 hours. But between arrest sure. and appearance, the, the Constitution there is silent. Do you want to guide us in relation to how typically between arrest, charge, and appearance, typically, or in the best case scenario, how that should happen? Okay, and there's three type of ways. Unfortunately, this is where there's a lot of confusion as far as people's understanding. In terms of what the Constitution says, one must be brought before a court within 48 hours of being charged. The problem is, is that there's nothing that goes ahead and says that you must be charged immediately. So say, for example, and this is what happens, a lot of people get arrested, but there's a time lag between the arrest and the actual charge. Secondly, it excludes weekends. So if you get arrested on a Friday afternoon, there's no obligation to charge you until the Monday morning. And it's during office hours, so you don't have to appear. So you can be stuck there for four days if you're unlucky enough to be arrested on a weekend. The way it works is that when a person is arrested, they will immediately be sent to the holding cells of that specific prison, of that specific police station, or if that police station doesn't have um, a holding cell unit to the main police station within its area that does have a, a a formal holding cell. From that point, you have to wait until you're in actual fact charged. You might be charged some 12 hours later as well. It's not it, it, it's um, it's not specifically defined from that point of view. Yes, there are time parameters in which you need to in actual fact be charged. They can't leave you for 48 hours without charging. And you must be charged as soon as possible. But you can be held in that there can be a time delay between the arrest and the formal charge and uh, at which time you'll, the person will be in the holding cell area. Let's talk about the fact that between arrest and being charged, it has proven itself to be a nuisance in many instances, precisely because many South Africans are not just as rights aware as perhaps they otherwise could be, if not should. And that many people would spend a long time, whatever a long time means, certainly beyond what is even reasonable, in holding cells waiting to be charged. And of course, they cannot be, re cannot be released on the basis of their not being charged. And because they have not been charged, they cannot appear. So the police holding cells become this environment where there's just a lot of rights, abuses, and compromises, as the case is. Is one of the biggest problems, uh, and I can, and this I can go ahead and say Please. from seeing this in practice. In practice, one of the greatest abuses relates to drunken driving. Like, say for example, what I've seen is people they get arrested on a Friday night. They're often held in the in the cell and not released till a Saturday afternoon when the next group of people. So now you've got thirty or forty people being stuck in a single holding cell area for not a for for nonviolent crimes, but and simply and yes, whatever one wants to have as a moral view on drunken driving. But I'm saying from a from a legal point of view, having thirty or forty people. Just stuck in a holding cell waiting 12, 13, 15 hours to supposedly sober up while there's other 
people also being brought in for more serious crimes is a complete abuse of the process. Technically, you could be charged and and sent away immediately. You get for a drunken driving matter. It's very easy. It's very simple. The breathalyzer is administered at a roadblock. The person is arrested. They take the blood. They charge and they can be released. There is no actual issue with regards to the process. It's a quick and manageable process, but it will be dragged out and they will be told to sit there for 12 hours and they will be and they will have their blood drawn at a different stage two hours later. That is where the that's where the the rights abuse actually comes because you've actually got the police exercising power and having overstocked over uh, oversaturated cells for, of people who of, of people who are low crime statistics they are not they're not real they're not dangerous risks to society if they get released and they're going to go ahead and be shipped back home yeah i appreciate the passion i've got to go and thank you so much for your thoughts there mr ian ellis criminal law expert and Ellis attorneys your thoughts certainly have been appreciated everybody good night it's 22 hours